Well, let's start by looking at the text. If we could stand for the reading of the Word of God. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of God. All right. Well, this is the third of my three weeks on talking about the significance of the resurrection. And I've said each time that I wanted to spend three weeks on the resurrection because it's a, it's a doctrine that is so significant for us to grasp. And I think it is especially relevant in unique ways to us right now because we have become so acquainted with tough times. You know, this country is going through tough times. Our economy is going through tough times, and we're all feeling it. And I know that when we come together as a congregation, every single one of you has something in your life that's either out of control or about to go out of control uh, that you are having to cope with, that is making life tough. Uh, I don't expect I'm speaking to people who have easy lives. And so because we are so familiar with tough times, we need to, to hear the message of the resurrection and the hope and the encouragement that it provides. But as a church, we're also very familiar with tough times. Together, the last two or three years, we've been through some stuff, and it's taken its toll. And it's been painful at times, and we're hoping, and I'm hoping with you, that uh, the corner is being turned and that uh, as Reverend Rishi Cable comes next week, that we will see... Um, we will see a new beginning. But because of those tough times, the resurrection has much to teach us. So let's review just a little bit about where we've been in this series. On Easter, we learned that the resurrection is God's promise, that he will always take care of us. As we looked at chapter 1 and saw that, that Paul found the God of all comfort because he found in him the God who can raise the dead. And then last week, we saw that the resurrection is God's assurance that, that our best days are ahead of us. And so Paul did not consider it significant, the hardships he went through, because he compared it to the glory that is his promised by the resurrection. And so today, then, we are going to continue that look and see that the resurrection is God's proof that he can do great things through our weakness. Do you believe that? We have become weak and discouraged. We have shrunk and we feel like our reach uh, has diminished. And some of us in our personal lives just feel like we're, we're, we're living in diminished, smaller lives. And I think it's easy to, to fall into a real negative spirit and begin asking, what good can possibly come from all this hardship? What good is going to come out of these tough times? In today's text, 
though, we are going to see that God's resurrection power flows through weakness when we heed three lessons he teaches us in tough times. You know, in times like this, I, I think we can start to feel like young Daniel. You know, he, he was taken to a, a, a place that wasn't his own. He was taken there against his will. He was surrounded by people he didn't know. And there was a group of people who just hated him and wanted to pound him into the ground. But we know what happened, don't we? He found Mr. Miyagi and Daniel was taught karate. <laughs> That's what you thought we were talking about. But that's, I, I bring up the Karate Kid intentionally because the Karate Kid, I think, has a lesson in it that is helpful for us to understand perhaps what we are going through. Daniel was beat up. He was in tough times. He was feeling very weak. And he found Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi said, yes, I will teach you karate. And he was all excited, and so he goes to Mr. Miyagi's house to learn karate. And instead of learning karate, he is, he is given a bucket of paint and told to paint the house and then to paint the fence and then he is taught how to wax and clean the car. Wax on, wax off. I think I did that backwards. But... And he's taught this, and he has to do this for hours and hours and hours in the sun, and he's sweating. He goes day after day after day, and this is all he does. And he gets very angry, and he finally blows up at Mr. Miyagi, and he said, I came to you to learn karate, not to become your slave. And, and he, he, was, he was mad at all this worthless time he spent doing these stupid chores. And it's at that point that Mr. Miyagi revealed to Daniel that all of those chores were actually part of making him the karate fighter that he needed to be. That they were teaching him the basics of karate. And because he had gone through those painstaking period of, of, of those chores, he was becoming the fighter that Mr. Miyagi knew he needed to become. And so Mr. Miyagi was able to reveal to Daniel that that was a time where he was doing good things for them. All Daniel needed was to learn the lessons that he could not see. And as we have God as our Heavenly Father, the God who tells us that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, I believe that we can expect he is doing good things for us in our tough times. And so just like Daniel, it is time for us to ask, what are you teaching us? What do we need to learn from these tough times to make us a better church? And how will these tough times help us be a better church than we have ever been before? That's the question we need to be asking. And that's the question that, that Paul is having to answer again in our, in our uh, letter in 2 Corinthians he is uh, describing this circumstance where he's had this thorn in the flesh, which he has had for 14 years. And he has gotten the most discouraging news that it will never be taken from him. Every day of his life, he will deal with the agonizing thorn, whatever it is, in his flesh. And he is having to defend himself to his church that he planted, the Corinthians, who are looking at Paul and they, they see only problems and because they can only see the problems with Paul, the suffering of Paul, the hardship of Paul, the thorn in the flesh in Paul, they make the very fleshy conclusion that something is wrong with that guy. 
And because something is wrong with that guy, they began to move away from him and started following super apostles, as Paul calls them, who told them, you can have your best clothes, you can have your best life, you can have a pain-free time, just follow us. The right message will give you your best life now. And they were, they were going that direction. And so Paul was having to write 2 Corinthians in this Circumstance, and he is uh, having to engage the, the, the super apostles in this argument. But you see, Paul's perspective is different than the second Corinthians, or than the Corinthians. He, see, the Corinthians' perspective was that a church is about taking care of me, is about making me better, a religion is about helping me and giving me my best life. They had a mentality that Jesus serves them. But, G, but, but Paul has the perspective, no, I serve Christ. And those perspectives are completely different. And with that different perspective, he is able to see hardship and, and suffering and even the thorn in the flesh in different ways. He lives on the truth of the resurrection. He has learned that ministry can only be successful when we learn to trust entirely in Christ. And that was a lesson the Corinthians had not learned He has learned, Paul has learned, that God uses tough times in our lives to show us his grace is sufficient. And it is my hope that in in this whole series and in this message in particular, that we'd adopt the perspective of Paul. That we would learn that our tough times, God is doing the same thing with. So what does God want to teach us in our tough times? That's the most important question in front of us. If we listen to God's answer, then we will find that these tough times were given to make us better Christians, to make us a better church, and to make us into a church that God can do great things through. But we have to hear the lesson. And if we fail to hear the lesson, if we do not respond to what God has chosen to teach us, then we will find that our best days are behind us. We will find that we have just been through worthless, mind-numbing heartache. And we'll find that it's not going to get better. So my question to you, do you want to learn this lesson? Do you want the good that God is going to provide, that he has taught us and is working through us in these tough times, Are we ready to hear the lesson God wants us to learn from the tough times we've been through? Any answer? Yes? Okay, good, good. You know, I don't don't mind hearing stuff back as long as it's not like stuff being thrown. Um, But feel, feel free to, you know, throw out there some thoughts. So let's look at the text then. We see God's resurrection power flows through weakness when we learn from tough times. Number one, this is on the back of your Uh, bulletin, only three blanks this week. Number one is to be humble in ourselves. God's resurrection power flows through weakness when we learn from tough times to be humble in ourselves. 
And we're looking at verse 6 and 7. The context here, uh, 2 Corinthians takes a pretty dramatic change in tone in chapter 10, 11, and 12. And what Paul is doing is he is dealing with these super apostles directly. He is playing their game and showing them that they are fools. And so the super apostles were boasting in their credentials and putting Paul down for his weaknesses. And Paul turns all that around and says that I boast in my weaknesses because that's where uh, the strength of Christ is demonstrated. And he moves into chapter 12. And he responds to these super apostles who, were, who would say, you know, we have, uh, we have good credentials, we have letters of recommendation, we have nice clothes and nice rhetoric, we're, we're nice to listen to, and we have special religious uh, experiences and, and revelations that we have received from God, and so that makes us important and worthy of listening to. And so Paul reveals to us, just almost as an aside, that he has had religious experiences that rival anything that can be known. He has even been taken to the throne room of God. And he, he, he says, I have had that experience, and if I wanted to, I could boast about that because it is a fact. But he chooses not to because Paul exists for a different reason. He does not exist to promote himself. He exists to show Christ. And so we see Paul's response in verse 6 is that humility, if we have humility, then we keep Christ the focus. Paul says, I refrain from this boasting so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And what do they see in Paul? They see him getting beat up. They see him getting harassed. They see the thorn in the flesh. And he says, you're absolutely right. I am a jar of clay. And I have no glory, no honor to give myself. But look at the fact that though I am uh, destroyed by this world, yet I still advance and my message still advances and Christ is still being shared. And so what can you do but look at Paul and how weak he is and recognize that the power in Paul is not Paul, but Christ. And then he says, and listen to my message. He doesn't boast in himself. He doesn't tell us all about the the, the great things that he can do or the nice clothes he has. He doesn't make it about himself. He preaches a simple message that Jesus Christ is crucified and risen again and trust in him. And so when you meet Paul, you're not meeting somebody who's promoting themselves. You are getting a window into the full gospel. And let me ask you this. When people look at you, What do they see? What are they learning from the life you are living? If I were to poll three of your friends and say, name name three things that, that I need to know to know this friend, would they mention your relationship with Jesus Christ? Let me ask the men in this room, because this is an issue that's that's weighing heavy on me. If I were to ask your wife, What's one of the most important, what is one of the top three most important things about your husband? Would they say his relationship to Jesus? And if I asked your kid, tell me about your dad. Tell me three things that make, make me understand who your dad is. Would they say his relationship with Jesus? That's our responsibility to witness, to make sure, most especially that our wives and our children Meet Jesus because they see it in us. So what, what are, are people going to say? Are they going to talk about your golf clubs, your, your house, your car, your job? How long down the list would it have to go before they say, 
he knows something about Jesus. See, it's reversed for Paul. Paul doesn't want any of that to be known because he wants Christ known and Christ the focus. His life is about focus on Christ. And then we see in verse 7 that because Paul has had these great revelations and he has gotten to see these uh, awesome religious experiences, that God has given him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Now, the word that is translated thorn could be also translated stake uh, or, or, or a spike. Uh, it, it was uh, a long, iron, pointed, jousting device that was meant to stab and to, to inflict pain. And uh, the, 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 the idea of it being a thorn is just, uh, that's another way of looking at it. But, but uh, we don't know what that thorn is. You know, all Paul says is he is given a thorn in the flesh. And commentators will give you all sorts of ideas about what it might be. It might be psychological issues, it might be physical issues or emotional issues. Uh, whatever it was, it was probably known to the Corinthians. It might have had something to do with his unimpressive speech. Maybe he had a stammer or something because the, the super apostles uh, uh, prey on the fact that he's not a very impressive presence. But whatever it was, it was a thorn in the flesh. And I think it's ambiguous for a good reason. It invites us to take whatever is the hardship in our life, whatever is making life tough, whatever is, is, is afflicting us or harassing us, and, and insert it into this text and say, okay, I have a thorn in the flesh. I have a toughness that I'm having to struggle with. And then to let this text give you the same answer it gave Paul. And it's a gift. Now, that's a real surprise. But we look at the text and we see that it says, uh, so to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me. That is in the passive tense. And the passive tense is a, is a classic indicator that that was an act of God. God gave him the thorn in the flesh. The thorn in the flesh was given to him by God. It passed through his hands. Paul prays to, uh, to, to God to take the thorn in the flesh away from him because only God had the power to remove it. It's a gift that, that, that God has given him. It's a tough gift. But this is the point. Humility is a gift from God. It's not going to come from us. It's going to have to come by something God does. And then the irony is that the same thing that, that Paul calls a gift from God, he also says was a, a messenger of Satan to harass him. Now, how do those two things go together? Here we are seeing a God who is far more sovereign, far more powerful, far more capable to bring good out of bad things than many of us have ever recognized. You see, whatever this thorn in the flesh was, was to, the, to Satan's perspective, a way to damage Paul, a way to tear Paul down, a way to hinder Paul, to bring him from sharing his message. But God, because he is sovereign, is able to bring the evil purposes of Satan to serve his good purposes. And so what, hit, what, uh, what God is doing is as Satan is, is beating down on Paul, God is accomplishing his good purpose, which is to make Paul more and more dependent on God. And as Paul becomes more and more dependent on God, he becomes more powerful in ministry. And what is the purpose? What is the purpose of this thorn in the flesh? The thorn in and of itself is not a good thing. We don't want to celebrate the thorn. But when we recognize its purpose, which was to keep Paul humble, he says, he says that twice. We recognize that the thorn was given for a good reason. And so we need to ask ourselves as we look at our tough times, what's happened? God has taken a lot from us. 
Perhaps it's to ask, am I enough? Am I enough? Are you here for me? And is having me and nothing else enough? Changes things, doesn't it? Now, we cannot humble ourselves by, by anything that we can do. I mean, to command you, to leave you, to say, well, now go and be humble, I, I would be a foolish preacher to say that. Because the more humble you become, the more proud in your humility, and it's all over. But you can become humble, and you will only become humble when you have met and trusted in the one who humbled himself for you. You will only become humble when you look at Christ, who though he was in heaven, was equal to the Father, lived and ruled on the throne, chose to leave heaven, to humble himself, take on the likeness of a man, take on the likeness of a slave, and take on the shame of the cross so that you could receive grace. Then when you see that, when you trust in that, when that becomes your vision, you cannot help but become small. I'll humble myself to a God who did that for me. I won't boast and make a big deal out of myself when I recognize my Savior left heaven and suffered on the cross for me. If you let Christ increase in your heart and your mind, you will decrease. So that's number one. God's resurrection power flows through weakness when we learn from tough times to be humble in ourselves. Number two, God's resurrection power flows through weakness when we learn from tough times to surrender to God's grace. To surrender to God's grace. And here we're looking uh, in the passage at verses 8 and the first half of 9. So Paul has been afflicted with this thorn in the flesh. And he's suffering. And we're told that he prays three times that it would be removed from him. And it's not. We recognize here that surrender involves not getting what we want or think is best. Now, I don't want to create any confusion here. Uh, Suffering is not a biblical virtue. The, The Bible doesn't say that you have to suffer or that you're supposed to suffer or that you're called to suffer, though it will tell you time and time and time again, if you are faithful, you'll meet suffering. And it is because we have a sovereign God who is able to work all things together for the good, then we are able to see in suffering even God's good purposes. But I do not want you to think that I need to suffer to somehow uh, become whoever I am. It is up to God's sovereign choice how he sanctifies you. And Paul demonstrates what we are supposed to do with suffering. We take it to God. When we suffer, we go to God, we plead with God, we ask for his deliverance, we ask for his uh, grace. That is what we are supposed to do. So Paul shows us how we are supposed to respond to suffering. And suffering, if it does anything, should draw us closer to God. When we are afflicted with something, we know that we have a relationship with God if it drives us to him. If when we become afflicted, we need him more. And so Paul shows us what what we should do as a a surrendered 
uh, person to God, and that is to pray earnestly to him, to seek him as the only answer. Paul's humility led him to brokenness. And contrast this to the super apostles who are puffing themselves up, who are living on making themselves look impressive, on making themselves look successful. Paul, in contrast, is showing that he is broken before God, that he gets on his knees before God and desperately needs the grace of God. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we broken in front of God? Are we willing to be surrendered to God? Nancy Lee DeMoss had a a, a list of things that contrast uh, unbroken people from broken people that she gave in a lecture about 15 years ago. And I have just taken a couple, uh, a dozen, (laughs) and um, I'm going to read these. And I want you to think, you know, which of these describes me? Are you on the column of the unbroken? Or are you on the column of the broken? The unbroken is marked by independence, is self-sufficient. The unbroken have to prove that they are right. The unbroken are quick to blame others. The unbroken are concerned about what others think. The unbroken have a hard time saying, I was wrong. Please forgive me. The unbroken compare themselves with others and feel deserving of honor. The unbroken don't think they have anything to repent of. And contrast, the broken have a dependent spirit. They recognize their need for others. They are willing to yield the right to be right. They accept personal responsibility and they can see where they are wrong. All that matters to them is what God knows. They are quick to admit failure and to seek forgiveness when necessary. They compare themselves to the holiness of God and feel desperate need for mercy. And they have a continual heart attitude of repentance. So as you listen to those, what column best describes you? See, in America, the column you want to be is the unbroken one. But in the kingdom of God, the column you want to be in is the broken one. Because it's when you are broken, when you are surrendered, that God can use you and that God's power will flow through you. So which are you? Are you the broken or the unbroken? Furthermore, we see in, this, in, in verse 9 that surrender is choosing to embrace God's will over our own. Paul didn't just, uh, Paul brought this issue to, to God. He prayed three times and then he stopped praying about it because the answer that he got from God, he accepted. And the answer, in one sense, was no. But it was also, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul did not respond to to God's answer with bitterness, with, with anger, with resentment. He accepted it. He accepted it. He embraced God's will that he said, my grace will be sufficient for you. God told him that I will give you what you need to endure your thorn in the flesh. 
And so every day, Paul was going to have the agony of that thorn in the flesh, but every day he was going to discover God's grace was sufficient to take him through. And that was a lesson that he needed because his hardships and afflictions and sufferings piled up, and as he became weaker and weaker in uh, in his body, he was taught day by day by day, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. And the question that Christ gave Paul, he gives to each of us in tough times. Is my grace sufficient for you? Is my grace sufficient for you? Would you be okay just having God's grace? Have you gotten to the point that God's grace is everything you need? Charles Spurgeon speaks of this grace as in the following way. It is easy to believe in grace for the past and the future, but to rest in it for the immediate is true faith. At this moment and at all moments which shall ever occur between now and glory, the grace of God will be sufficient for you. This sufficiency is declared without limiting words, and therefore I understand the passage to mean that the grace of our Lord Jesus is sufficient to uphold you. Sufficient to strengthen you, sufficient to comfort you, sufficient to make your trouble useful to you, sufficient to enable you to triumph over it, sufficient to bring you out of 10,000 like it, sufficient to bring you home to heaven. No believer here need be under any fear, since for him at this very moment, the grace of the Lord Jesus is sufficient. But we will not surrender. We will not become broken until we have met and trusted in the one who was fully surrendered and completely broken for us. Who else do we know in Scripture prayed three times for his affliction to be removed from him? Jesus. In Gethsemane, Christ prayed three times, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God did not answer that prayer. And because he didn't answer that prayer, we have the grace of eternal life. Because we say in in every Lord's Supper that this is the body of Christ broken for you. Christ surrendered everything and was broken on the cross that you might have grace that is sufficient for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if that is your Savior, if that is the Lord that you have, then you can surrender everything to Him. Because He has already shown you He'll take care of you. You are not weak to surrender to Him. And now number three. God's resurrection power flows through the weakness when we learn from tough times to depend on Christ's strength. And so we're looking at the last part of 9 and verse 10. So what's Paul's response to the fact that he uh, has gotten this answer? He says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Christ's strength, Paul learns and teaches, is only available when we admit our weakness, when we admit we can't. 
And so when Paul says he is boasting gladly in his, in his hardships, Scott Hoffman says in his commentary, Paul is confessing in word and deed his contented dependence on the grace of Christ. Paul discovers that it is only through the, the, the thorn in the flesh where he learns how weak he is that he has become a vessel for Christ to use. We saw last week that he saw himself as a jar of clay for the treasure of Christ. Here he says that I will boast gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may fully rest in me. He recognizes that the best thing that he can do and what he must do as somebody who trusts in Christ is get out of the way and let Christ's power and Christ's strength do it all. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Verse 5, this is the, the, the text where Jesus talks about being the vine and we being the branches. And in verse 5, he boils it down. He says to us this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Not that you can only do things that are very difficult. Not that you can only do a little bit but that you can do nothing until you learn to abide in Christ. You can do nothing until you accept your weakness and let Christ's power dwell fully in you. We have Christ's strength when we trust God to use our weakness for his glory. In verse 10, Paul says, Therefore I am content in all of these hardships, sufferings, insults, afflictions. When he says he is content, he says, I accept it. I receive the hardships and the afflictions because I know the God whose grace is sufficient. So whatever today brings, whatever hardship I face, whatever insults I hear, whatever stonings may be in my day, I know the God whose grace is sufficient. And so he will be content to go through whatever because he knows the God that will take care of him through it all. And do you see how he had resurrection strength because that was his knowledge. He knew that he could go through anything, he could face whatever the world threw at him because he had the God who raises the dead say to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And so he was marked by strength that could not be turned back, not because he was a powerful apostle, but because he was weak and let Christ's power work its way through him. And again, we will not become dependent on Christ's strength until we have met and trusted in the Savior who became weak for us, weak to the point of dying helplessly on a cross, but who was raised in the power of God, who was raised in power for our sake. Until you accept the Christ who gave everything for you, who went through the shame and the weakness and the humiliation of the cross and came out of it to say, I offer eternal life, you will not depend on him. So, as we look at the, this message in its totality, as we conclude, 
Today our passage showed us that God's resurrection power flows through weakness when we learn from tough times to be humble in ourselves, to surrender to God's grace, and to depend on Christ's strength. We see as we conclude this series that Paul was not hindered by his suffering, his trials, or his weaknesses in his service to Christ. Quite the opposite is true. As Paul became weaker, God used him even more powerfully. We see in the life of Paul that the God of the resurrection can do great things through weakness. Do we believe that God can do the same thing in our weakness? Paul learned in tough times to trust more in Christ. Have we learned in our tough times the same lesson? God has humbled us, but have we become humble? God has overcome us, but have we surrendered? God has made us weak, but have we become dependent? It is time for Gashland Presbyterian Church to stop witnessing to what we don't have and start witnessing to what we do which is the awesome, almighty, good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for all who trust in him. And it is... Okay. Uh, If we became that church, we would be a better church. And we would build a far better ministry And it would last. It would be eternal. And that would be a a, a church that trusts in the power of God because they are too weak to do anything themselves. The reason that we have been looking at the resurrection in the book of 2 Corinthians is because Paul serves as the best example of what it means to live knowing Christ is risen. His entire life is based on the fact that he knows Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And because he knows the risen Lord, he was filled with resurrection comfort, he was filled with resurrection courage, and he lived by resurrection strength. And the world was changed because of it. You see, the Corinthians, which had a serve me Jesus, and that's what they wanted, a Jesus that promoted them, that inflated them, that made them happier, made no real impact. But Paul, who had a Jesus he wanted to serve because he was willing to be humbled and surrendered and depended upon him, turned the world upside down. So the real question for you right now is this. Do you know the Jesus Paul knows? You will not be humble until you find all your worth in Christ. You will not surrender until you find all your security in Christ. And you will not accept your weaknesses until you find all your strength in Christ. And until you get there, you will have a meaningless ministry. The word that set Paul free to do great things for God through his weakness is the same word God offers to us. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Are you ready to let God's grace have its way with you? Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, teach us and show us the Jesus that Paul knew. Father, reveal to us our unbrokenness. Reveal to us where we are unwilling to be surrendered. Reveal to us, Father, what is that thing in us that we cling to when we hear the words, my grace is sufficient for you. Reveal to us what it is that we don't think we could relinquish. Reveal what it is that we don't know about you that keeps us from trusting you there. And Father, make that a thorn in the flesh until we accept that my gra- your grace is sufficient for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would strike down the Corinthian heart, which is in all of us. And Father, give us a heart that is a servant's heart, a heart like Paul's, a heart that finds in the resurrection all that he needs to have comfort, all that he needs to be courageous, and all that he needs to be strong. And Father, let us become a church that begins to witness not to what we don't have, but to what we do, and that is Jesus Christ. And so in his awesome, precious, all-sufficient name, we pray. Amen.